Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on That Hockey Show, where the game is always on. Yes, the game is always on, right here at THS. Welcome to That Hockey Show, ladies and gentlemen. Week four of our weekly Thursday NHL recap. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the Go Hockey Media Studios here on Long Island in New York. And every week we bring in four great guys, our teammates, my line mates. That's Joe Yarden talking some East Division and the Buffalo Sabres, who currently aren't playing right now. And then our buddy Costa Papulius from up north. We'll talk some Habs and the great Northern Division up front, or the Canadian Division as we like to call it down here. Tab Bamford is always calling in from Chicago. We'll talk some Hawks. We're playing good, man. And obviously the uh, the Central Division. And then Steve-O is going to wrap up the uh, the show, as he always does, from the, the West Coast. The Left Coast in Cali. And we'll talk some West Division as well as the New Jersey Devils, who are also not playing hockey lately as well. Uh, big The big story here, obviously, uh, COVID. Not just in the NHL, but in sports in general. It's just part of the norm, unfortunately, for all of us here. Uh, it's affecting schedules and players, and uh, it's just the way it is. It's just part of the uh, our everyday lives. Uh, again, respect to everybody out there who's either lost somebody or has uh, gotten sick or uh, all the healthcare workers. Um, you know, just um, we're always thinking about you guys out there. And, and sports is just a, you know, a part of everyday life in, in terms of us, you know, going forward here. Um, through all this, this pandemic that has affected everybody uh, around the world. So, I mean, having hockey here is obviously a great uh, relief for all of us here, too. Just sports in general. Had the big Super Bowl this past Sunday, too. Um, NBA's rolling. MLB's looking to get back here. And, uh, you know, there's some good signs here, especially down here in the Northeast. Uh, getting some news about uh, opening up some capacity uh, limitations here in the arenas. Uh, New York here, it looks like the Garden and the Coliseum and, and Barclays. Uh, uh, they're going to be allowing about 2,000 people in here. So that's a first for New York. Uh, but it's a positive sign as far as moving forward. Um, and which is, you know, you might think is kind of crazy too with all the, uh, like I said, the, the COVID protocols and the games being postponed in the NHL. But, you know, this is just, uh, like I said, it's part of the daily um, you know, storylines of sports and especially the NHL and hockey, which is what we talk about here at that hockey show. So uh, let's just kick things off here before Joey calls in here in a few minutes. Um, ten games on the schedule tonight. I'll run through them real quick uh, in a second here. There were two games, only two games on the schedule last night. Uh, first time, I think, uh, the, one of the only times in 50 years here from the NHL Morning Skate News that uh, they were only uh, original six teams playing last night. Bruins uh, win 3-2 uh, in overtime against uh, my New York Rangers here at the Garden. Uh, Brad Marchand uh, with the winner in overtime. Uh, McAvoy keeps uh, his assist streak going. He's got uh, assists going in eight games there for the Bruins. Bruins, you know, playing pretty well. Rangers have been uh, they've been 
Falcons staying tight in games. They lost the Islanders the other night. And like I said, a tough one there last night. Uh, a couple mistakes defensively. Um, you know, gave the Bruins a good game. They go back at it again on Friday. Uh, but they move on post Tony D'Angelo. Uh, Leafs and Habs went out last night. Man, the Leafs are just rolling uh, 4-2. Um, four different goal scorers last night for the Leafs. Dermot, Hall, Mikhaev, and Hyman. Uh, Matthews, who had an eight-goal game streak, that stopped last night. But he's got an 11-game point streak going as well, too. Uh, so the Leafs are rolling. And the joke on Twitter is the Habs just want to play the Vancouver Canucks. But anyway, uh, we'll get into the Habs a little in a little bit with Costa uh, when he comes on, and we'll uh, we'll get into what's happening there as well. Um, as far as uh, you know, the schedule tonight, like I said, there's uh, ten games, a lot going on as far as uh, storylines and everything else. And in addition to that, there's four games that have been postponed. Uh, the Devils were supposed to play the Flyers. The Blues were supposed to play the Wild. Uh, the Yotes were supposed to play the Avalanche. And uh, the Sabres were supposed to play the Capitals. Those games are not happening tonight. And I think there's still a question on the Vegas-Anaheim game tonight. I think the NHL is supposed to make a statement. They might be making it while I'm on air right now. So, um, But they're supposed to, uh, to go at it this evening. In addition to the Pens and the Islanders. Pens, first game, big storyline uh, last week with the Penguins, with Hextall and, and Berkey getting the, uh, the GM and the um, president of operations there. That's their first game. Uh, up in the box office, this t- the press box tonight, or the uh, what, what am I saying? The, the big luxury suites up top. They'll be up there tonight uh, at the Coliseum. Uh, Lou Lamorello is going for his 1300th win as a GM. Uh, we'll get into that a little more too with Stevie. Uh, as we talk some Devils and obviously his history with the Devils. So uh, a big game there tonight uh, in the Coliseum, uh, not only for the uh, the two teams on the ice, but a couple of guys uh, off the ice. Tampa Bay uh, playing really well, 9-1-1, going up with the Cats. This is a great game here tonight. Florida's been playing great, too, 7-1-2. Uh, Bobrovsky's been uh, just, you know, stellar in net. So that's a great matchup. I think maybe the game of the night there. Um, uh, Edmonton goes into Montreal tonight. So Montreal off the last loss last night. Get back at it with the Oilers. Uh, look at the Hawks, man, playing really well. Really looking forward to talking to Tab in a little bit about the Hawks. 6-4-4. Uh, four and four. Uh, They just broke the power rankings <laughs> so at 15th spot. So uh, with all their... Um, you know, ups and downs and, and, the, and the, the bad start in the beginning, uh, they're playing pretty good here. So a good matchup against Columbus. Uh, Lionel's actually gotten on the score sheet for Columbus, so it uh, should be a good game. That, that's a, another good game tonight. Wings and the Preds, two struggling franchises, two teams that are just down at the bottom of the uh, division. Um, so, you know, they, they, either of them will be happy with uh, getting a couple of points out of that game. Uh, Sen's still struggling. They play the Jets. Uh, Dubois getting in there and, and hopefully making an impact for the Jets as well. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, with Costa when we get into the uh, Canadian division. Canes and the Stars playing each other tonight. Both another two good teams playing pretty well. Stars coming off a couple losses there to the Hawks. Uh, and then Calgary and Vancouver. Vancouver, man, is in, uh, in, the, in the dumps. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about the Canucks a little later too. Uh, Calgary hanging in there 6-5-1, and, and and again, Vancouver could def- desperately uh, uh, get a win tonight. We'll see what happens with the Ducks and the Knights if they announce that game later, and the Sharks close out the evening playing the Kings. Again, two struggling teams there um, down in the bottom of the West Division, and we'll get into that later with uh, Steve. Uh, as far as uh, the league leaders right now, McDavid uh, has got 27 points uh, out there in Edmonton. Uh, Matthews, just talking about him, Austin Matthews in Toronto. He's got uh, leading the league with 11 goals. McDavid has 18 assists. 
Uh, Brent Burns, I just wanted to bring this up. He's averaging 27, almost 30 minutes uh, on ice uh, per game, man. The guy's unbelievable. Um, Razik is leading the, in the Nets as far as uh, goal percentage uh, at 0.99. Uh, Varlamov with a shutout against the uh, the Rangers the other night. He's got three uh, in the league. And Frederick Anderson in Toronto uh, is leading the league in wins at nine wins for him. So... Um, that's basically just a kind of weekly roundup here of what's going on. And, uh, you know, a couple of quick little stats last night from uh, the Morning State here. Marchant scored in the overtime to help Boston last night win its fourth straight comeback win, uh, which have all been on the road. And only one team in the NHL history has posted a longer such run, and that was the, the great old Hartford Whalers back in 95 and 96. So that's a pretty good stat last night. Uh, Jake Muzzin assisted on three of the Maple Leafs' goals uh, as Toronto registered its second point streak of nine-plus games and in as many seasons. Pretty cool stuff. And then, again, the Lightning uh, winners of six straight. So Tampa Bay. What's going on in Tampa Bay, man? Winning championships, Super Bowl, Stanley Cups, and uh, six straight now. And, again, they're uh, playing each other for the first time uh, tonight, and it's three of eight head-to-head matchups between those guys. So uh, it should be pretty cool. But right now, it's time to bring in the guys and our leadoff guy, our face-off man, Mr. Joe Yurden. Joey, what's going on? Welcome back to THS, brother. How's everything? Well, good, Paulie. I'm, I'm glad I can be your Ryan O'Reilly on here, trying to get win some face-offs on the draw. <laughs> man, Ryan O'Reilly. How were those days in Buffalo, you know, when he was up there? <laughs> you know what, man? It, it, well, given the way things have gone since he's, since he's left, uh, people look back on it kind of fondly. Um, <laughs> but... But uh, but people are if you if you bring up his name, people just get a sour face and they think about the trade and they're just like, oh, geez, traded him and he immediately wins the Stanley Cup. And you're just like, oh, my God, why, why, why? Everybody here is why? Why did it happen? Oh, man. And now these days, you guys got nothing to talk about. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got we got guys back on the ice now. So, you know, well. As many guys as they could put on the ice, anyways. They got that going for them, which is which is nice. Excited for practice up in Buffalo in the middle <laughs> yeah. of an NHL season. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Well, it, it. You know what? I'll tell you what. It's got people looking at Rochester right now, which you know they want. They got their first win last night, and Jack Quinn's actually going to play. It sounds like Friday, so they get the so they get to see their first their first round pick from this past draft. Get to play a game for once. And it uh, looks like the OHL is still delaying, so maybe we'll get to see him a little bit more in Rochester. There's, there's, little, there's little nuggets of joy around <laughs> Buffalo right now while the team gets, uh, gets the COVID situation figured out. Rochester's streaming numbers are going to go through the roof here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. AHL TV going to get a huge boost here. Unbelievable. All right, man. So, look, no games in two weeks here. Um, six postponed games total. Uh, hopefully, crossing fingers, uh, get to play the Islanders uh, – next week, uh, and then the Caps, obviously, as well. Um, yeah, off the ice, actually, for like seven days. Just started practicing this week, right? Getting back on the ice. Um, I saw that uh, GM Kevin Adams was just talking about, you know, uh, the team just trying to rally around this and stay mm-hmm. positive. Uh, but nine players on COVID protocol, including uh, Cousins, Hall, Lazar, uh, Middlestadt, Ryder, Dolan, uh, McCabe, Montour, and Ritzelain in here. Uh, and obviously, Coach Kruger, we talked about last week, testing positive. Mm-hmm. And assistant coach Steve Smith has been running the practice. 
And I saw another thing too. Uh, you know, just around this whole thing, uh, the assistant coach Don Granado. He had Granado. He had pneumonia last year, so I think they got to keep him far away from everything too. Yeah, he's been watching practices from uh, way up in the hundred level, keeping him away from ice level and off the bench and off the ice. More importantly, probably. Um, yeah, I would say that's pretty important to keep uh, keep good care of him because uh, severe pneumonia put him in the hospital really bad last year. I mean, I know I know that you know people hear pneumonia, oh geez, maybe to wear a coat outside or something, but it was not anything where you kid around with that. I mean, he was in some real bad shape. I mean, he was, he was calling his brother, you know, his brother's Tony Granato. He's calling his brother saying like, I don't know. The doctors seem really serious about this. So I, I want to make sure I call you before I go in to get worked on. So wow. that's uh that's scary business with that. And, you know, obviously uh, you know, a lung ailment. And if you come down with COVID and you've had severe pneumonia already, man, that's, that's bad. That's a bad scene. And, and right now it, Ralph Kruger, I mean, he, he, it sounds like he's fighting it a little bit right now with, with COVID. I mean, it, you know, the players are positive. He's, he's going to come back, but you know, trying to read between the lines with what Kevin Adams was saying yesterday, it doesn't sound very fun. I mean, it's, we know it's not fun to deal with it in the first place, but it does not sound like it's, it's, it's going super well for Ralph. So I just hope he's able to, to, to get back to it and, and get back to uh, feeling well and, and able to get back behind the bench, you know, uh, eventually here. But it sounds like it's it's pretty rough for him. I can't imagine if, you know, how bad it is for some of these players. I mean, the players are younger, more in shape. But, but man, I mean, you're talking about taking a direct shot to the lungs like that. I mean, I, I can't imagine trying to skate 20 minutes a night after you've had your lungs go through hell with that. I mean, that's, that, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... You know, you speak about Kruger here, too. I mean, with all the sports here, Joe, which I know you're very familiar with as well, too, and, and every league has dealt with COVID in, in a different situation, and they've had their own uh, either postponements or players pulled off. I mean, the NFL kind of got through it. Uh, college football kind of got through it, different things, certain guys having to come out or whatever, so on and so forth. But the one thing here, too, is, you know, when we think of Kruger and, you know, knock on wood, nobody's – we haven't lost anybody in the sports you know, arena to this right now. And I'm the only reason I'm bringing this up, like, you know, because, you know, there was an article out last week about should the NHL pause. You got, uh, you know, and, and COVID has hit the NHL from right out of the gate with the, the Stars and the Canes, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning. And now you've got all these different games or whatever. And, you know, the, the league rolls on. There was an article about whether the league should pause or anything like that. So just kind of, you know, the, the perception that we have to take as fans and, and guys who cover and commentate on the game here um, – how this, you know, road is going to continue on for this league. And like I said, God forbid anything happens to anybody. Yeah, and, you know, I, I saw some discussion uh, today talking about how, you know, if, if we get, you know, when we if when we get to a Stanley Cup final and uh, you've got one of the Canadian teams in there in the Stanley Cup final, and they're like, well, how are they going to do home and road? And I'm like, well, if Canada still has their national laws in place where you got to do a 14-day quarantine coming into the country, or even if it's seven, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Canadian team fans. Uh, your your team's going to be the, the Stanley Cup final is going to be played entirely in the U.S. and they're going to find a neutral site for for the for the Canadian team to play at home. I mean, that's that's the only way that that's going to work. So, I mean, I, I imagine you know if it's Toronto or Montreal or or uh, you know or you know Edmonton. I mean, who knows? Uh, but you got but you're probably looking at you know if it's Toronto. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe have them play in Buffalo. I mean, I can't imagine fans in Buffalo would love seeing a Toronto, <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs versus whoever. Poor Stanley Cup final. in the Buffalo wound. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but I mean, but I mean, if you're looking at just logistically speaking, 
mean, it's either Toronto or Detroit, honestly, uh, to put it there. If those teams aren't in it, which, I mean, let's face it, Detroit's probably not going to be in it. But, I mean, you know, Buffalo might make the playoffs. So, I mean, there, there's that possibility. So, um, but, I mean, that's so far down the road. I mean, we're talking May or June or July with that at this point, you know, depending on how they're going to reschedule games. But, I, I mean, everybody everybody right now keeps looking at standings. And, you know, you see Buffalo's only played 10 games. Jersey's only played, what, nine games? Um, you know, and, and you're like, well, how are they going to do that? You know, how are they going to make up these games? And, and I just keep thinking like, well, they're not going to make them up. It's going to become a points percentage race. And because, I mean, I, I mean, I look at all the games Buffalo's had called off or postponed this week and it's what, six, six, seven games, something yeah. like that at this point. If you try to reschedule those, you're talking about having to have them play 45 games in like 50 days to get to the end of the season. Hey, good luck. Like that, if you're trying to keep COVID numbers down and, and, you know, they've already done a lot to limit the travel. I don't know how you're going to keep a team going playing 45 games in 50 days. That's insane. And they themselves would have to continue to stay off the protocol list. Right. And, and like right now, I mean, you know, based on what happened with, with the weekend with Jersey, if they run into another team that's got that even has like an outbreak or something like that, what if they run headlong into another situation like this where, you know, somebody has it or like what happened with Vegas the other night where Thomas Nosek, yeah. apparently, you know, his test came through in the second period of the game and they still let him play. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, if, what, if you've got guys who their results you... haven't come through, like, keep them off the ice. Yeah, you got, why does you got that happen? Why are they sending guys out without their test results? It's crazy. That, that part drives me nuts. And that's that's crazy. Like, if you got guys where their test ha- results haven't come in by game time, sorry, they can't play. Like, that's as simple as that. Like. I mean, it might it might stink that if it comes through negative and you're like, oh, geez, we had to sit this guy and he didn't even, ha- you know, he didn't have it. Well, better safe than sorry. Right. Like yeah. instead of having like another outbreak, Vegas already had a little outbreak and now they might have another one. Like, come on. Like this is it, it, it's beyond the pale to think that you can just tough it out. Go ahead and everything will be fine when we, we've already got proof right now with Buffalo and Jersey that that guys are trading this off on the ice. Even Detroit and Columbus before I forget. I forget if it was Columbus who said it or it was Detroit. Uh, where they said they're pretty, pretty damn sure that they were able that their guys caught it from playing against the team that that already had it. So it's, I don't know. The solutions seem easier. <laughs> it seemed yeah. easier to figure out than it is to like then just to kind of play ignorant and say like, well, geez, we didn't know, so we just figured it was okay. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, this, Joe. Do you know with the with the quarantine and the protocol and the guys not practicing or anything? Has there been a muzzle on the players? Has there been any any communications coming out from the players or only from um, you know the GM yesterday? Well, we we heard from some of the players yesterday, and did, okay. the players the players said all the right things. Um, you know, they they said you know basically <laughs> basically what you would expect hockey players who have been coached yeah. media through their whole not life much. <laughs> not to not to say not to say the wrong thing not to uh-huh. say any you know anything controversial or anything like that but uh the one guy who who was a little bit more open about it was, was Kyle Opozo go figure i mean Kyle's Kyle's one of the best people best people in the NHL mm-hmm. just flat out as a as a human being just one of the one of the best people and he was a little bit more thoughtful about it but he you know still nothing controversial but just more of a straight you know a straight shooter answer and I mean, while that's appreciated, it's still not saying like these, you know, these, these guys from Jersey, you know, they just threw these guys on the ice and said, hey, good luck. You know, they didn't you know, they didn't nobody said anything like they threw us to the wolves or, you know, hey, we you know, we 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 protested about this. We did none of that stuff came out. They all they all said, hey, you know, listen, the league's doing their best. The teams are doing their best. We're just trying to figure it out. We just want to play hockey. OK, well, 
yeah, we know, <laughs> you know, we, we know you just want to play hockey and, you know, even, you know, even, you know, Jack Eichel says, he's like, listen, I don't know anything about this disease. You know, don't ask me any questions about it. Like, okay, yeah, fine. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not expecting, you know, epidemiological breakdowns from, from NHL stars. Let's, <laughs> let's put it that way. But I mean, when, when it comes down to it though, like, Get, you know, I mean, we all want some. We all want some juice. We all want some fire. We all want them to be like, no, the, the league sent these guys in here, and we got sick, and we yeah. think it's beats. We would, you know, we we'd love to have that. That's the quote everybody wants to have. That's the quote everybody wants to hear. None of the guys were giving that up, and I mean, that makes sense. Let the union deal with it. Let the league, you know, let the league handle it. Don't try to stir the pot. And if you go pointing fingers, then you know. That that just causes that just causes more trouble, and I, I get it. You're trying you're trying to you're trying to keep the temperature down. You don't yeah. want to, you don't want to raise the heat up when things are already really hot as it is. And uh, I mean, that, as far as smart things, that's the smartest way to do it. As far as what we like as people, where we're where we're the ones shouting from the rooftops, we hate it. Yeah, no, I hear you. Hey, look, you bring up Eichel there, and I just was thinking about something. You know, a kid like him, young kid coming to the league, he's the face of the Buffalo Sabers here, obviously. Um, and, and I'm just thinking about some of the young, younger kids uh, throughout the league, too. There's certain guys that are um, through this COVID thing. I mean, you take all the Canadian teams you got to take separately because they haven't had any postponements, no COVID st- issues up there so far. Mm-hmm. But down here in, in the lower 49, we're, we're having issues here. So, uh, you know, talk about some of the young guys, a guy like Lafreniere, he's starting with the Rangers here, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, they, they haven't had their game scheduled, but you talk about, like, Hughes in New Jersey. Some of these you, these guys trying to deal with just – breaking into the league, making a name for themselves. They're not getting to play in front of crowds. There's no emotion there. It's a totally different uh, um, experience as far as playing. But swinging back to Eichel and the frustrations uh, you know, he's had playing there and, and, and the changes that have been made there, and in the short time he's been there, and mm. now this, he can't even play You know, along with yeah. his teammates. They, they, that's a big thing that I think we're going to have to really sit back and watch as the season goes on. And, and review, like, well, a lot of these guys just couldn't get their rhythm going to the point where what I want to get to, Joe, is could this be a lost season for a kid like Eichel? Well, it's funny. Jack was asked about the possibility of having a really condensed schedule coming out of this, you know, once once they get over this. And Jack Jack said, he's like, you know what? I'm better the more games we play. So if we got to play a ton of games in a row, I'm going to get hot. And, you know, I'm, I'm better for it. I'm just, and I keep thinking like 45 and 50 days. Whoa, buddy. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a horse. I mean, that dude is, he's strong. He's strong as a bull. And I mean, if anybody could, and if, if, if anybody could do 45 and 50 without really showing a lot of wear and tear for it, it's probably him. Um, but I mean, you know, you know, at the same point, he's like, he's like, you know, listen, the more, the more we can string together, the, the quicker I can get going. And, you know, I like play. I, I like being on the ice. I like playing the games. He's like, let's, let's get to it. I mean, that's great. I mean, that, that's exactly what you want to hear. Um, but like that, that, you know, at this point, it's not, a, it's not a loss season yet. It might feel that way. Um, you know, because, you know, the, the Sabres haven't played that terrible honestly i mean it, i mean fans here are grumpy and you know listen they got a, a million reasons to be grumpy i get it but like the teams play really well defensively the offense is gonna come around like I, i'm convinced of that you know guys like hall and skinner and, and even jack you know the, the goal numbers aren't going to stay low for long with those guys mm-hmm. um but i mean jack's got a good point the the more the more games they can get under their belt the, the quicker the offense can get going i think i think if anything the timing for this was terrible because Jack was just starting to heat up. Yeah. Um, you know, scoring in the shootout, scoring in the games now. 
Um, that that part of it is rough because you know once he gets going, we've seen him get on tears. I mean, he had a, 18 straight games with a point last year uh, at a time. Granted, with a one game interruption for for being out sick, but um, but I mean, he had a 17 game point streak with you know 18 in a row and you know in all. So I mean, like that's that's the kind of stuff he can do, and. We're we're rounding into that part of the season where where he starts to get really hot, and that that to me is is the tough part for him. But you know I, you know I look at this and you know the guys in the COVID list and you see you know you see Middlestat who's you know he's been mostly on the taxi squad this year, but Darlene's the guy that I worry about just because he's a kid and he was just maybe starting to find his way now. I mean he had another rough start to this year. He had, you know his first uh, the the first ten games haven't really been that impressive from him, but. You know, he's a guy that, you know, once he starts getting his getting his feet under him, gets that gets that confidence going. He's a game breaker type. So, you know, it, it's the, it's those kind of guys that, that you worry about in these situations where, you know, you have such a break. You've got a you know, week and a half, two week break. And now they got to try to get their feet back under him. And in Darlene's case, he's got to get healthy. You know, he's got to be healthy before he can get back out. So who, who knows if, it, you know, if he's going to be, you know, if it's going to be another week or so or whatever, you know, whatever it takes for him to get back out there. That that's the stuff you worry about, and that's where you start worrying about if it's a lost season. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's such a just you know kick right in the pants yeah. to have you know for you know it just goes back you know, and I I try not to yell about this too much just because it drives it, it you know the whole idea of trying to play sports at all while this stuff is still going on yeah. drives me crazy you know and you know it's not me being a germaphobe or anything but it just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense but I mean. If you're going to do it, you're going to go through with it. You got to do it right. And, you know, for these guys to lose games and, and to, you know, to have their health put in danger by this, man, it's just, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's wild. Well, look, hopefully uh, they'll get back on the ice. And next week, me, me and you can talk about what's happening on the ice and not what's happening off the ice. And again, we, uh, <laughs> we hope Coach Kruger there uh, hangs in there. So, Joe, look, a couple of things here before I let you go uh, this afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about the division here. Um, you know, this Eastern Division has had to deal with this COVID protocol a lot here. Every team has been affected as far as either they've been, you know, we're talking about the Sabres, the Devils here, uh, the Caps. But, you know, all the other teams, too, have had to, you know, sit out a couple of games. They missed that mm-hmm. rhythm. Uh, it's affecting coaches' decisions, whether it's, you know, uh, their goalie rotation. Um, you know, there's I guess there's good and positive sides to the teams that are healthy, whether they get the, the, the days of rest. But, you know, there's the, the days of the flow – Unless you're in the Canadian division right now, it's really not yeah. happening uh, down here. Um, Boston playing well, Philly and everything else. Um, just uh, maybe just a quick thought on, on one or two of these top teams here or a specific team in the division, and then I'd love to get your uh, take on the Hextel, Hextel and Burke hiring in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so we, we talked a little bit last week about Boston, about getting Pasternak back and how much that changed them around. Them. Jeez, they're terrifying. They're yeah. just an absolutely <laughs> terrifying team. Um, and seeing them just kind of getting it going here. I mean, the record's out. I mean, they're what nine, one and two now, uh, as we're talking. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think everybody keeps wanting to write the, uh, write the epitaph for the Bruins thinking like they're going to get too old soon and, and there's going to be problems. Well, it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem to matter. It, se- it sure seems like they, they've got it going. Um, Philly, it's still hard for me to to really get a, get a handle on them. Them getting Couturier back is obviously that that's a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, that guy's, that guy's so important to them. Just not just from the defensive standpoint from, you know, for how he's able to shut down other teams, uh, top stars, but for, just from an offensive standpoint, because he's so solid and he, you know, he gets back into there. 
they can get the goaltending balanced out, you know, and I know Carter Hart's had some struggles this year, and you know he's another guy that that found found his way on the list uh, earlier this season. But if he can get some get some consistency back there, and I know it's his it's what his sophomore season, yeah. you know, there's always a sophomore slumps and all that, and the sophomore slump in this kind of seasons even you know it seems like a double shot. But um, but if he can get it going, Philly Philly could be really fun to see them go head to head with Boston for the rest of the year. I think that, I think those two would be, would be fantastic. Washington. I mean, they get Ovi back. They got, they got, they finally got the full team back after mm-hmm. uh, the COVID thing from the middle of January, which I mean, it just shows you how long this can take. Uh, but they finally got Vrana back on the ice to, to practice with them. Ovi looked amazing <laughs> the other night playing, you know, he pumped in a couple of goals. I mean, he, Ovi's a beast, you know, they, all, they all seem to be kind of working really well. Char coming in under Laviolette, man. I mean, there seems yeah. to be a really nice mix there with him behind that bench. Yeah. And it, and it sure seems the point that they just needed a change of voice. I mean, they, they had, there was an adjustment period, those first few games with them where, you know, they, they open against Buffalo and boy, you know, the, the, the couple of first couple of games with Buffalo was just like, geez, what's up with this team? What are they going to do? And uh, now that they've kind of got their legs under them and they got it kind of figured out and granted with a COVID interruption, but um, they, they look a little bit more steady. They look like they've got their groove back. They look like a team that's going to be, uh, dangerous to deal with. And you know what? I like, uh, you know, I love the way that team rallies around Chara. I mean, Chara scored, the, scored his first goal a couple weeks back and like the whole bench went crazy for him. So, I mean, that shows what a guy like that means to that team. I mean, that's an older team. Like let's, yeah. let's not beat around the bush. That mm-hmm. the caps team is old, but like you bring in an influence like Chara, like that's a guy that demands respect from everybody in the room. And that includes, you know, that includes Ovi and Backstrom and, and Carlson and those guys. Like, you bring a presence like that in there who's just, you know, Char's an even keel guy, but like I, nobody's going to say anything cross around him. Like, why would you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. why would you want to get on that guy's bad side? So um, that's like the perfect guy to throw into that mix. And I, and I, and I love it. Can they handle it for the full haul? I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I mean, Char is one of the most fit guys I've ever run across in hockey. I mean, this is a guy that's, that's riding the bike for an hour after a game, yeah. you know, just trying to just trying to keep the legs in shape and everything. I mean, the guy, the guy's a, a fitness nut. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I love that mix. And I tell you what, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Talk about the, the change here, man. You know, they're never. <laughs> you look they're exasperated, never Joe. What's the matter? <laughs> They're never boring, man. It's it's wild. But I tell you what, uh, you know, Hextall, you knew, you know, he had the opportunity. I, th- I think I read he had the opportunity to join Seattle uh, as one of the assistant GMs. And he was like, you know what? No, I got to hold off. I can be a GM somewhere. And I mean, I, who's going to deny him? I mean, he's already done great work with L.A. in the past with Philly. Um and things with Philly went sideways. So the fact, so the fact that he's now the GM in Pittsburgh, yeah, is, I mean, that, there's some juice. There's yeah. some juice. I like that. Uh, but adding Burke as as the go between guy. I mean, we if you don't know Brian Burke by now, I mean, holy crap, crap, you've not been paying attention to hockey the last <laughs> twenty years. But I mean, I, I started thinking about the future with Pittsburgh, and I know everybody else started thinking about that. Like, wh- how does you know? Because this is a team that, that lacks draft picks, they lack prospects. You know, Rutherford traded them all away, or they just didn't draft any good ones. Um, and now you're thinking about guys like Malkin and Latang, and you know, I, I don't ever question Crosby's future in Pittsburgh. I think he's a Penguin till he retires. Um, and you know, I mean, his contract isn't up for like three more years, but Malkin's is up soon. 
uh, and Latangs is up soon. And it, you know what? If you're going to shake the roster up and try to rebuild on the fly while you still got Sid, those are the guys that you're moving. I mean, you're not moving a Gensel. You're not moving, you're not moving any of these, you know, other slightly younger guys. You're not going to move a rust. Maybe, you know, maybe you move a rust, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, I, I look at some of these guys, you know, like John Marino struggling this year, but you're not moving him. Um, and, and, and I started thinking of like how you're, how you're going to be able to do this. Well, you could trade Malkin to somebody and get a pretty good haul. I mean, the Malkin's, you know, former MVP lights up the world. I mean, the guy's guy's unbelievably good. And I think the same can be said for Latang. When he's healthy, he's dynamic. And if those guys can stay healthy, and that's been a question. I mean, it's yeah. been a question for Latang for a couple of years now, and I think for Malkin, even the last couple of years too. Um, but if you're moving them to a team that's like, we can win the cup right now, well, you're going to send them west first off, <laughs> or or you're going to send them to Canada, and you're going to say, you know what, we'll we'll figure it out, we'll go from there. You're not trading them within the division. You're not sending them to you know to 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 somebody in the Atlantic Division. You know, you don't want to see that guy again. You know, unless it's twice a year in a normal in a normal schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you're going to be able to pull that down. That's you know, immediately I start looking at teams like. Shoot. I mean, yeah, I, I look at teams that might be desperate to get a change in there. And I look at like a Vancouver. Vancouver needs a ton of help. I mean, they need defensive help more than anything. But like Vancouver seems to be a mess. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe a Dallas, um, maybe uh, well, not <laughs> maybe Vegas, but I don't think Vegas needs any more help. Vegas seems no. OK. But I mean, a te- you know, you start thinking of like teams like, you know, I don't know, maybe a maybe a. Colorado, I don't know. Malkin and Colorado would be a lot of fun. Sure. I mean, I just start thinking like video game trades now where I'm just like, <laughs> boy, how fun would it be to have McKinnon and Malkin as your one-two down the middle? Holy crap, that'd be great. But um, This is what happens that, to Joe Yarden when the Sabres aren't playing. <laughs> my, my imagination gets crazy here. But, but you know what? In the past, I think with Rutherford and even Ray Shiro before that, if you started talking about trading Malkin or Latang you'd immediately say, well, how does that conversation go? Well, you add Brian Burke into that. Brian Burke doesn't give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll trade you as soon as he look at you. You know, like he doesn't care about your opinion. I mean, if there's, if there's something that you want to give, give nods to Burke about, and I know he's divisive. I get it. But if, but if you want to pull the trigger on a big trade of a guy that's been there for life, he's the guy that's going to do it. And he's not going to, th- if he's got the right deal coming back, he's going to do it. And he's not going to think twice about it. And that's going to be something we got to watch for, Joe, is is those two, Hextel and Berkey have huge egos, man. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting yeah. to see how that. Uh... And you know what? They both love making big deals. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, they both love making those big splash deals. They're able to, they're able to negotiate a, a deal. You know, it, you know the, the classic, they can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves kind of deal, you know? Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that they can do. Well, you nailed it earlier, man. You said it, man. Pittsburgh is always fun and always interesting, so uh, it will be interesting to see. Well, look, buddy, have a great weekend. A happy Valentine's to you and everybody you love. All right, buddy. And uh, hopefully we've got some Sabres games to talk about next week. All right, pal? Take care, Joey. Thanks so much. Sounds good, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, brother. Joey, you're everybody. Every Thursday here on THS. It's a place to be, baby. Sabres in East Division. Eastern Division talk. Man, oh, my tongue is stuck everywhere right now. Woo! All right, it's time to head up north, the Great White North, to Montreal. And let's bring in our good buddy, Mr. Costa Papalias, and talk some Habs in the Canadian Division. We don't call it the North Division up here. 
We call it the Canadian division. Costa, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? It's the it's the polar vortex division, Paul. It's cold up here, man. <laughs> yeah, it's cold down here too. You guys want to turn the heat on so we can get some heat down here too, buddy? No, nah, that's not gonna work, man. It's not gonna work at all. So, uh, man, I've seen you've been real angry on the Twitter lately here too about your halves, man. What's the story, man? Giving up three goals in third last night? Get your acts together. Oh, yeah, you're telling me. I, I like. I, I, Thursday, don't forget, Paul. On Thursday, when we spoke last week, I was in a great oh, oh, oh. mood. And then all of a sudden, they played Ottawa. Did you guys lose to the Senators? <laughs> yes, we lost to the Senators. And uh. not by a goal or two. It was 5-2 to two final. I wanted to break stuff. And I kept my mouth shut on Twitter then. So we play Saturday night. Jake Allen comes in. What happens? Lo and behold... Ah, great. A 2-1 win. Jake Allen plays well. The team looks okay. And then they play the Leafs, and it's absolute garbage. Like, hot garbage with a capital H. Enough to be able to heat up this Polar Vortex division. Are the Canucks back on the schedule anytime soon for you guys? (laughs) No, unfortunately, no. We're playing Edmonton tonight, and then we're playing Toronto again on Saturday. But, oh, my God, man. I, I, you know, I hate coaches that overthink things. And Claude Julien has been doing that. overthinks everything the team's off to a great start montreal's happy everybody's happy the only thing they're complaining about is philip dano who can't seem to buy a goal and carry price being under 900 save percentage wise those are the two complaints and normally in montreal everybody's losing their mind the minute you know they get a loss now all of a sudden they've lost two out of the last three and by convincing fashion they're afraid to go up the mid-ice lane because Claude Julien has got them playing a perimeter counterattack game. And so the other teams are taking advantage of everything. And the Canadians are sitting there going, uh, what just happened? I know what happened. Stop playing this defensive perimeter garbage and attack the middle like you were at the beginning of the season. Why do you think he's – why do you think coaches in general – I mean, has there been anybody that's been pulled out of the lineup, anything significantly affecting the uh, the up and down, the top the top six? I mean, we've been raving about how they've been spreading the goaltending – I mean, the goal scoring around. Um, why, why the reason – why do coaches do this and drive us crazy? Well, look, we talked about the importance of the first 10 games and, you know, the lack of adjustments because of, you know, the lack of games. Well, here you've got Claude Julien who hasn't been playing too many back-to-backs. In fact, tonight's the first back-to-back they're going to have in maybe a week, right, where they, they played last night against Toronto and then tonight against Edmonton. The, he had time to think, right, to sit down, look at film, think, see what was going wrong, and try to tweak it. Instead of sitting there and, and saying to himself, you know what, things are working. I'm not going to touch it just yet. Let me see how the team goes the next 10-game stretch. Because, you know, notoriously coaches turn around and they say, yeah, you know, we, well, we go three games at a time. Well, that's great if you go three games at a time. But now the Canadians went 10. You know, their record was fantastic. Everybody was happy. Everybody was contributing, again, except for Philip Deneau. And lo and behold, he decides, I'm going to change this up a bit. Why? Because I want to get Philip Deneau going. So now he's trying to get one player going at the expense of everybody. You know, last night you watched him. He took Thomas Tatar off that line and he put Tyler Toffoli with Gallagher and Deneau. So mm-hmm. why are you punishing Toffoli for the fact that, you know, Tatar hasn't been able to score because he's playing with Deneau? How about instead of benching a guy like Paul Byron, you take a guy like Deneau, you tell him, listen, you refuse a $5 million contract because you wanted six. You can't score if your life depended on it. How about you take a look at the game from upstairs for a, a game or two? 
and I'll play Byron instead. I'll put Corey Perry in there, and then you can learn a thing or two from looking from up top. That's what I don't get. That's the adjustment you need to make, not wholesale changes to the way your identity is. I mean, it's retarded. What I wouldn't give to get you, like, 10 games behind the bench for the Habs. Dude, I, I would give Torts a run for his money, I'm telling you. And you guys know Torts really well. I would lose my mind when players didn't do what I wanted, and I would lose my mind if an assistant coach went and changed stuff on me without, you know, looking at the whole grand scheme of things. I hate when coaches change stuff. You know, it, it, if, if something needs to be changed because you've got a legitimate problem, then, yeah, go ahead, tweak it, change it. But the Habs were what, eight? One and what were they? Seven, two, and one when we talked last hour. Seven, one, and two when we talked. They yeah, just but lost again, one a lot of regulation. A lot of games against the Canucks, there, buddy. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah. You know, well, whatever, that, whatever it is. <laughs> well, I mean, this gets back into you know this. It's it's weird. Like we talked about it last week too. Down here, you know, the COVID protocol is messing teams up and their consistency. It's not happening up north. You know, you guys are getting your flow. You guys are playing your regular schedule of games. You know, what I saw, too, here is um, I think after your next couple of games here, you guys are going to have, like, a six-game break. What's that all about? I have no idea. I, I like It's like they're giving them a, the spring break so they can go down to the Daytona and get hammered. I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you, man. I don't know what the thinking is by the league. And then, of course, they're getting a, six, a six-day break, and then they're going to get hammered with back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-backs. I mean, that, Why? If you don't have to, why do it? And it, it may very well be something that's mandated by, 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 by you know, the Players Association. I don't know. But holy hell, it doesn't make any sense. And all it's going to do is, once again, your coaches are going to overthink things. You're going to get a couple of days of practice. They're going to completely put the screws to everything that they've developed. And the team's going to look either better or worse than they already did. I mean, it's a crapshoot, and I hate that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's yeah, it is. It's it's weird, you know. Just like I said, the the pauses and the breaks here, and then you know it's already condensed season, and uh, you know, and again, this is primarily affecting the teams down here too. It's it's going to be one hell of a trip when we get towards the end of the season here, Costa. Depending on how, if you guys up north can stay on that straight path, and you guys don't have any interruptions. And then a lot of teams down here, if they got to make up these games and stuff like that, um, you know where they're going to be, and you know ultimately when we do get. Stan, you know, the Stanley Cup finalists, um, that's just going to be a trip, uh, how that works out in terms of where, where teams are going to be. So circling back around here, um, you know, Price and, and um, Allen there splitting those games. Um, talk a little bit about the the breakdown last night, and I, I know you hate talking about them, but you got to give some props here to the Leafs. They're playing pretty damn good. Um, just take us into the breakdown last night, what you saw, and then and let's just look at the Leafs and let me know if you think they're for real right now. I do think they're for real, but they do have their holes like any other team out there, right? Defensively, they've got issues, okay? Granted, they went and picked up Zach Bogosian. He's a good addition on the back end. You know, Morgan Riley is Morgan Riley. You can't say anything about that. Hall is having a good season so far, so they do have some components on defense that they didn't have before, right? But now, all of a sudden, you know, you look up front, they're starting to click up front. You got Marner, you got Nylander, who really didn't do much last season, who's contributing a hell of a lot more than he did before. You've got, of course, you've got uh, Dawson Matthews, who's just a machine out there, you know, firing pucks at the net and so on and so forth. But the thing that the Leafs did yesterday was that they were going lateral all game long. They were moving the pucks side to side instead of going north-south. And it was forcing Gary Price to move in the crease. You look at Hall's go, right, for example. He gets the puck on the near wall, skates towards the middle of the ice, forcing Carey Price to overplay his angle, 
and he pops the puck in the top corner. I mean, that's characteristically, that's how you beat Carey Price on any given night. And that's how they were doing it. And that's how they beat him. And, and you know, they're starting to figure it out. The book, like Pierre Maguire likes to say, is out on Carey Price. And now the question is, can the Canadians have an adjustment, not only to their game, to be able to mitigate the amount of pucks that they allow through the seam, but can Stefan Wade actually correct what Carey Price is doing from an angles perspective to get him to play more solid in net? Absolutely. And, you know, where's your take here on Sheldon Keefe as a coach here for the Leafs, obviously coming in after, you know, Mike Babcock and all that other stuff, uh, you know, obviously not the way they wanted to go out last year, uh, the last two seasons, I should say. But do you do you see him getting a grasp of these high-priced, very talented hockey players on his team? And obviously Anderson now leading the league uh, with nine wins. He's settling in a little bit, obviously gaining more experience every year that this guy plays. Do you see that that connection here between Keith and this team growing together a little bit? I know it's early in this season, but does that stand out a little bit maybe? Well, Sheldon Keith, I'm glad you asked me because I know Sheldon Keith on a personal level. Uh, oh, tell him I, I said hi, do, buddy. Uh, play... Well, you know, you, you know how I used to do play-by-play play for the Hawksbury Hawks, right? Yes. Well, Hawksbury is in this junior A league up here in Canada that's called uh, the Canada Central Hockey League. And there's a team in that league by the name of the Pembroke Lumber Kings that Sheldon Keefe owned for the better part of a decade and was the head coach. All right. And I watched him grow as a coach for maybe about six or seven years. Let me tell you something. He was the perfect choice to build a young team in Toronto. The perfect choice. Okay. I also happen to know Kyle Dubas, uncle Walter. And, you know, they're a hockey family. So Kyle's got that in him as well. And as long as Kyle's able to, take what he knows about analytics and put that together with his knowledge of the game itself and then expand on that by using Sheldon's experience and knowledge, that team's going in the right direction. And God help the rest of the league if they actually get it together. And I know that's the direction they're going in. In a year or two, they're going to be perennial contenders because they're going to have the, 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 um, the personnel in place. They're going to have the coaching in place, and they're going to have the depth in place to be able to contend against all the big boys, whether it's Tampa, Washington, you name it. So, you know, Toronto's definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, I think we're all collectively kind of – I mean, again, if, if you hate the Leafs, you don't give a crap. But I think everybody just generally is an NHL fan here. We're waiting to see, you know, all this talent uh, that they've got, all the money they've invested in this team. I mean, it, it, is, it has the potential, like you said, to be – a uh, a, a championship team here in the next few years, and we're all just kind of collectively waiting, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they get through the rest of the season. Now, switching over to Vancouver, Coach Green here, you know, they won four in a row to start the season. They've lost five in a row now. Obviously, you guys have kicked their butts. What's happened in Vancouver? Again, it comes down to the fact that they don't have enough depth on defense from an offensive perspective to be able to move the puck up to their forwards. Right? We talked about this when they play the halves. If if you're unable to get the puck out of your zone, and I'm not talking about a stretch pass. I'm not talking about just a simple, easy pass out of your own zone up to a forward who's moving. Right, If you can't make that pass from your own end into the neutral zone, you're not going to generate any offense. And so he's expecting guys like Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and you know Peterson and, 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 and JT Miller to generate that offense, and they can. But the thing is, they're doing it from a stationary position where they're getting possession in the zone and they're trying to move around the offensive zone to create offense. Thing about the NHL that everybody should know by now, after 2005, it's become a transition league where you generate more offense off the rush than you do 
puck possession in the in, in the zone, right? So that's where you know you've got to get all that together. And Vancouver hasn't quite realized that. And the problem with them isn't Travis Green. Travis Green knows what needs to be done. Travis Green learned from Claude Julien when he was in Boston, and he learned every step of the way when he was with Toronto, you know, and stuff like that. The thing is, though, is Jim Benning as a general manager has failed that franchise. And, you know, giving up on a guy like Jakob Markstrom for money, I mean, that goalie is going to be the, like, it's going to be the death of him, especially the way he's playing right now in Calgary. So, I mean, if Jim Benning doesn't realize that he's got to make some changes on the back end to help this team offensively, not defensively, but offensively, the Vancouver's going to be in trouble all season long. Wow. That's, um... That's not a good outlook there uh, that you're giving them, pal. I, I hate to do it. I don't hate the Canucks. I hate the Leafs, and I gave them a glowing a, glo- a glowing review. But uh, the Vancouver is it's they're not just not showing me enough. I hear you. The Winnipeg Jets, on the other hand, boy, are they surprising me. Well, that's my last question before I let you go here today, Costa, and that is between the Oilers and the Jets, who mm-hmm. do you think can make that jump up to to kind of you know chip away at the Leafs and the Habs here as we go forward? Well, I can tell you the one guy I expect to screw it all up is Dave Tippett. I'm not a fan of his as a coach, but I am a fan of Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice, every step of the way, wherever he's gone, he's been able to take his team. And and when they've needed that little bit of extra muster to be able to get to the next level, he's been able to get that out of him. You know, he can draw blood from a stone when he needs to. And Dave Tippett just doesn't have it in him. It doesn't matter, you know, if he was, he's coaching in Edmonton or, you know, he was down in, in Phoenix. You know, he would have spurts where the team played well. And then once the team started to falter a little bit, he didn't really have any answers. He just stuck to his game plan. A lot like a guy like Ken Hitchcock did or, you know, Todd McClellan before, before him in Edmonton. Now, you know, you, you look at a guy like Paul Maurice. He's got that acumen to be able to bring the team forward. And he thinks outside the box, you know. And, and so it, until... Edmonton realizes that their coaching staff is good, but it needs to be better. They're never going to take that get that team to the at the next level. Whereas the Jets, they're right there. They're starting to get goaltending from Hellebuck at the level he was a couple of years ago. Their defense is starting to make adjustments to play better, even though you know, like we said, they're missing Dustin Bufflin after his retirement badly. And offensively, I mean, you know, Dupree has been a good addition there at center to try to bring some more offense there. And between him and Shifley, they have all kinds of offense going, which rivals what Edmonton can do with Dreisaitl and uh, and McDavid. So it remains to be seen, but I think the Jets are going to get the better of the Oilers in the division for sure. Yeah, it's it's a, a trip there. When you, when you talk of guys like Maurice and Torts and Columbus, these are two guys who've kept their teams competitive, and it's so weird they're involved with this Dubois line A trade too. Um, and the, the, those issues, but they've they've lost so many key guys. They've had major injury um, effects to the teams here, but they've found a way, you know, to 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 not only uh, you know stay competitive, but to to be a problem as the season goes on here too. So, um, and I, I love Paul Maurice. I've always liked him as coach. Um, I think he's also even a great uh, analyst too, off air too. I mean, off ice too. But, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's one of the best, man. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as they go forward. But I love it. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll ask you tonight with you talking about Edmonton, what's your take here? Is, what, is, this, is this more of a bigger game here for the Habs here, uh, or is it for the Oilers in terms of where they're both standing here now in the standings? Much bigger game for the Habs. The Habs have to get control of their own destiny right here. If they don't change what they've been doing for the last three games, and if they don't 
allow McDavid and Dreisaitl to control the middle of the ice, they're going to be in good shape. But their problem in the last three or four games has been they've been giving up the middle of the ice way too easy. You've got guys like Phil Dunneau, who I mentioned before, isn't playing the middle of the ice as much as he used to. And that's affecting his line. And it's opening up opportunities for the other team because he's the Montreal Canadiens' best defensive forward, bar none. And the fact that he's not taking care of his own part of the ice in the middle and he's allowing the other teams to be able to get space and get time and be able to create offensively, that's a problem. So whether you look at Deneau from the perspective of not being able to score, whether you look at him from the perspective of not being able to defend, he's having issues at both ends of the rink. And that's why I said what I said, where, you know, he needs to get, take a break and look at the game from over up, over up top in the press box so he can see what's going on and adjust his game so he can be a, a, an asset to the Canadians and allow them to be much more competitive in the mid-ice lane. I like what you're talking about, man. I definitely want to get you behind the bench in Montreal. we got to try and get it done, buddy. I mean, I'd love yeah, to see do, do it with the Rangers. We'll have even more fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, they got their own issues right now. Hey, look, buddy, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, as always, for uh, coming on here. Stay warm, and I look forward to your angry Costa tweets later, buddy. You got it, buddy. All right. Have a great great weekend, buddy. Costa Papoulias, ladies and gentlemen, talking some Habs for us. And the great North Canadian division as well. All right. We roll on here at THS. All right, well, it's time to head out to the, the Midwest and the, the cold air of Chicago and bring in Tab Bamford, a good friend Tab. We'll talk some Chicago Blackhawks and the Central Division. Tab, what's going on, man? How's everything? Uh, it is cold as hell in Chicago. We're getting more snow today. Dropped my kids off at school. It was two degrees. Uh, but, hey, the sun's out, so, you, you know, it's a... It's it, it's a dry frozen. Uh, no, it's not. There we've got like literally 17 inches of snow in my front yard, and uh, and it is cold as hell. So, <laughs> you know, it, one of those times that you know it'd be great to be inside watching hockey at the rink because you know the ice quality would be good because it's cold as hell. But we'll watch it on TV and cross our fingers that the the wheels keep moving forward. Absolutely, man. And I look forward to uh, the spring when you turn around and say it's a, it's a beautiful, warm, and sultry day here in Chicago. Oh, it'll be 65 in, in February, and then it'll snow on opening day for the Cubs and the Sox. <laughs> Invariably. It'll be, it'll, it'll be shorts by the end of February, and then it'll snow on opening day for baseball. <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, lived in Colorado, man. We got those two, uh, uh, that kind of stuff out there, too. It's great stuff. So, look, you know who is hot, and that's uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, pal. Um, did they really win three in a row, man? Points in five straight games? Six, one, and four? Um, uh, they've got points in 10 of their last 11. Yeah, man. Since, so, they started the season 0-3 and gave up 15 goals while scoring five. Two in Tampa, one in Florida against the Panthers. So you start the season out, scored 15-5, to and you're 0-3-0. The wheels are off. You're starting to count your balls in the draft lottery, figuring out which player you're taking at number one. And since that three-game debacle, the Hawks have lost in regulation once. And Kevin Lankinen has started all but two of those 11 games in which uh, 
and the uh, the regulation loss was his. So, uh, so Kevin Lankinen, as we talked about last week, he has grabbed the number one spot in net, and the Hawks have benefited from it, and they keep putting points on the board. So it, it's uh, it's it's been an increasingly fun season for the Blackhawks. When we started chatting at the beginning of the year, I had the emotions of Eeyore. Yeah, it was uh, doom and gloom. And, yeah, and and now uh, you know I've got the optimism of Kermit the Frog. If we want to stick with the uh, with the kids shows analogies, uh, you know it, it's been it's been a roller coaster for the Hawks, but they are finding ways to be entertaining, finding ways to be in every game, and they're putting the puck in the net. And uh, kudos to them because they've only allowed twenty one goals in in their last ten contests. So uh, the defense is buttoned up, and they're starting to get some things right. Yeah, man. Look, as a Ranger fan, uh, I've got. I'm really jealous of some of these numbers, man. Uh, they've killed 13, uh, had 13 penalty kills here. Uh, they're 20, 21 for 22 in, in in the penalty kill in eight games. Um, they've scored one power play goal in 12 of 14 games. Rangers can't get a power play goal to save their lives here. Um, and Kaner's got 17 points. He's still rolling. DeBrincat with four goals in the last three games. You brought him up last week. And, you know, the big thing that you've talked about here, uh, especially in the last two weeks since the start, has that they've been entertaining. And, you know, I was on my other show the other uh, last night, actually, and, and one of the things that we brought up was um, we were talking about the, uh, the national anthems, uh, the Super Bowls, and then we were talking about this weekend's, and my buddy there was talking about that one, uh, the old Chicago Stadium uh, after uh, Operation Desert Storm, I believe, started or something like that. It's 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 yeah. one of the most incredible renditions. And, you know, it just uh, – and then I was thinking ahead to you and thinking about what you were saying that, you know, when the Hawks are rolling um, and they're exciting and they're fun, it, it's great to see them uh, in the mix. And um, it just makes, I think, being an NHL fan – um, you get more interested in the team and what's going in the, on in that division uh, because, like I said, they've been on the schneid a little bit here last last couple of seasons, but they had a little fun in the tournament last year. And, you know, here they are. You know, I guess my question to you is, and focusing on them so much here the last two or three weeks and in these this, this little run here, do you think they're for real? And you've talked about the key components that are still missing on this team if and when they get them back down the road. Um, things are kind of lining up nicely. Are, are they are they for real, Tab, or should we still just kind of chill a little bit? Well, uh, loaded question, uh, loaded answer coming back at you. Good. So, um, I, I think to say that they're legit in the making a deep run in the playoff sense, still premature. Um, are they a legit? playoff viable team this year uh, I would have tempered my enthusiasm until they went into Dallas and won a couple games in overtime and that second game there were four rookies on the ice Brandon Hagel set up his suitor for the game winner Ian Mitchell was on the back end and Kevin Lankin and uh, who picked up the secondary assist on that goal by the way so props to him for his first point in the National Hockey League Four rookies on the ice together for your second straight overtime game-winning goal in Dallas against a team that I think most people looking at this division had penciled in either second or third, depending on where you felt about Carolina. Um, Look, we've talked about this all the way through. With teams missing time because of COVID, you have to get points when you play games. Um, 
when you have players missing because of COVID or other injuries, you've got to have depth to be able to play through that and still be effective. Carolina hasn't lost a game at all at home yet. They've only played 10 games and they're two games. So the Hawks have played four games more than Carolina. They're two games up on the Canes. I think anyone in their right mind would say Carolina is a better team on paper and probably on the ice than the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and yet the Blackhawks have points in nine of their last 10. Carolina's got points in seven of the 10 that they've played. Um, so are they a for real team from a playoff aspirations perspective? I would say yes. And a lot of that plays into whatever the hell's going on in Columbus with Torts and Line A already butting heads and whatever's going on down there and them struggling to stop the puck still. And Nashville, I mean, last week you were chirping at me on Twitter because I threw their offense under the bus, and then they blow up for a touchdown, <laughs> and they they went right back and they went right well, back I, to the. See, I wasn't chirping at you. I was saying, look, man, you talked about this on the show today. And yeah, this is what yeah, they I, needed I, to do, and they they nailed it. I was, I just thought it was funny. If, if the Hawks were playing them tonight, I wouldn't say anything about it because clearly the <laughs> jinx works. Yes, but but they they've gone right back into being the uh, the cookie in the bottom of the urinal. Um, <laughs> They're still terrible. They're 1-5-0 and away from home. They've given up 46 goals in 13 games. They've lost three in a row. And so when you talk about are they for real, I think there always has to be two elements to that conversation. Is the team as good as they look on paper? And I think with all due respect to Bill Parcells saying you are as, as good as your record says you are, I think we know that when you play more than 16 games, there can be smoke and mirrors to what's going on. And in the National Hockey League, you can see teams that have a great record and you know that it's smoke and mirrors. Um, so I think that is, is the team itself good? And then when you look at the playoffs, is there a legitimate shot that you could be top four in your division the way that the playoff format is this year? And I think that the fact that Nashville is a dumpster fire, Detroit is Detroit, and Columbus has got infighting. You know, you're looking at at the Chicago Blackhawks having a a fighter's chance at that four spot in the Central Division, and kudos to Jeremy Carlton. A lot of people bashed him. I've I've been critical of him in the past. His systems are working. The Blackhawks' power play has been a gong show for years. They are one of the best in the league this year. Two years ago, the Blackhawks' penalty kill was historically bad. They're playing as well as anybody in the National Hockey League on both special teams right now. And that's a huge factor in them turning the corner and being a productive team so far. Well, it's good stuff, man. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, it's um, it, it's just fun to watch. And, and, and uh, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Debrinkat and Kane are here. And, and even, uh, you know, Suter and you, you had said on Twitter, too, just seeing Suter and Jamark get the pop in the goals here against the Stars the other night, too. Um, you know, because we, we had talked about everybody else trying to comp- contribute on this team. You know, Montreal was doing that themselves there for a little bit, albeit mostly against Vancouver, but the scoring was kind of spread out. And, you know, talking yeah, about... I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Ray Charles just scored a goal against Vancouver, by the way. <laughs> uh, I mean, their de- their defense makes the makes Edmonton look like the Red Wings of the late 90s. It's... <laughs> The west side of Canada could use a single quality defenseman, I think, right now. That's, oh, t- that's able to stop puck. Uh, they've got you. some guys that can skate. They've got some guys who can shoot. But nobody's stopping anything at, 
between Edmonton and Vancouver. But yeah, sorry about that. No, you know, with what you just said in my conversation with Costa before, we are losing Vancouver Canuck fans on this show in heaps. I'm telling you right now. Um, hey, look, I mean, look. the OK Corral appreciates shootouts on a <laughs> nightly basis, but at some point, you have to stop puck if you want to win games. And Vancouver's just ain't doing it right now. Even oh. their fans have to acknowledge that they could. I mean, when you look at Edmonton and Vancouver, and I, I wrote this uh, yesterday with the Blackhawks having as many defensemen as they do, and Adam Boquist is now coming back from COVID protocols. Uh, he skated with the team today. He actually had COVID, so he's got to get his legs back under him. But uh, the Blackhawks have more bodies than they've got roster spots actively to fill. Part of that's been unfortunately solved. It looks like Connor Murphy's going to be out a couple weeks because of a right hip issue that was just announced today. And unfortunately, Andrew Shaw is back in concussion protocol after missing most of last year with concussion problems. So that's a real gut punch, and it breaks your heart because that kid has really worked his tail off to get back into a, a place mentally and physically that he was able to play, and he looked like he was having a lot of fun playing the game again this year. Um, but... You know, depending on the status of those two, the Hawks are going to have too many bodies, certainly on the blue line. Um, and when you obviously got to make sure that you're going to be compliant for the expansion draft. But the Blackhawks are a team that could literally, you know, look to sell from a, a position of depth. And if somebody like a Vancouver and Edmonton wanted a puck stopping defenseman, you know, and God forbid, you know, I mean, Brent Seabrook's going to come back at some point too. So. The Blackhawks are going to have, you know, eight or nine guys that they could realistically rotate through. They, they skated seven defensemen on Sunday in Dallas. They're going to skate seven tonight against Columbus. Um, or Tuesday, rather, against Dallas. So, you know, they, they have more bodies than they know what to do with. And I think, again, we've talked about this the last couple weeks, too. Teams are, that think that they've got a shot uh, and want to push their chips in or teams that aren't playing well and need to push their chips in even further to get off the schneid, Islanders, um, are you know maybe going to look at, at not waiting for the trade deadline to start being active. And I think the Blackhawks have got a, a bounty of veterans that they brought in not knowing what their young kids had, and their kids are showing up, and they're showing out. And so Chicago might be able to, to sell from a perspective of having more bodies than they can actually dress and benefit from some teams being a little desperate earlier than otherwise. Well, you know, you know what Vancouver's going to do, though, right? They're going to take Tony D from the Rangers. Help them out That'll over solve there. everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what I want? You know what I want? I want Tony D to find himself with Line A in Columbus. I want Torts to babysit those two head scratchers and just see what happens. And then just give me a live stream. <laughs> NHL.com. Stick a GoPro in the locker room with Tony D and Patrick Line getting after it with Torts. What a super segment, man. Write, write a check to the FCC for bleeping stuff now, but... God help us if Tony D and Patrick Line had torch riding them like a $2 donkey for the rest of the season. Oh, I love it, man. And that's a great segue because I wanted to talk to you about torts in Columbus here because obviously the Hawks are playing them tonight and obviously making headlines here this last, you know, week since we've talked with Line and everything else. And I think that's just a trip uh, when you're seeing about Tony D going in there. And uh, just in sports lately, you know, that whole conversation of, uh, you know, players – you know, leaving their teams upset where they're playing. I mean, you know, just even like in baseball. And I tell you, man, I'd love to do a baseball spot with you one of these days. But Bauer going to the Dodgers and the money that they're making, it's ridiculous. But um, the, the line, you know, torts down there in Columbus, 
And I was talking to Costa about this, too, about him and Maurice in Winnipeg, too. They, those guys have worked really hard to keep their teams competitive, losing a lot of guys to injuries, different situations on the team, PR stuff, all kinds of crap. Um, but just, you know, finding a way to get their teams through it and stay competitive. Um, so with that said, and I, it sounds to me like you're a fan of torts, um, you know, how do you, how do you think he's doing there? Uh, with the team, and, and, and what do you expect to see tonight or look forward to seeing against these uh, guys in the next couple of games? Well, I'm a fan of drama, and Torch <laughs> is the 4th of July. Um, so I think any, I think if you're in media, you, you want somebody that's going to stir the pot a little bit, and Torch is as close as we have to a Mike Keenan in the National Hockey League right now. So, um, I mean, look, no one, I think, will question – that Torts gets the most out of his players. Um, but there are coaches who get the most out of their players in different ways. Some would submit that Mike Babcock was not getting the best out of his players in Toronto, and the personality rifts that developed there ultimately cost him his job, and now we have to put up with him on NBC once a week, <laughs> um, which is great watching Patrick Sharp fight the eye roll every time Babcock goes on, gets on his soapbox talking about a guy's effort. Um, (laughs) But Joel Quinville goes about his business a different way. Barry Trotz goes about his business a different way. Um, You just sometimes you get to a point where you wonder if a guy like Maurice or a guy like Torts is still getting through to a younger generation. And part of it is just the entitlement of younger players coming up through a system where generally now the athlete has more leverage than the coach or the organization does. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating that Mike Keenan wore out his welcome in the national hockey league 25 years ago. And in many ways, torts is very comparable on how he handles himself and he's still hanging around and he's still winning games. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think Columbus's front office took a, a pretty hard stance that, you know, we're going to go get some talent. We're going to give you more talent. Um, you know, the, the kick in the shin after Line a got on, on the ice and was finally able to start contributing was Miko Koivu suddenly retiring. Um, and that's the kind of guy that I think Torch wants to have in the room. A guy who's going to do his job, who's going to put his head down, who's going to lead by example, who's going to lead with some words. Um, but And, and he's going to shepherd a guy like Line a along and how to professionally act. But you know, it, it's interesting because when you go from, you know, when you consider going from Maurice to Torts, um, life didn't get easier for Patrick Laine. No. And I, I think it, it, it isn't hard to get the sense that he may have wanted life to get a little bit easier for him um, to kind of go and do uh, a, to an extent. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I do think that there is still a place in the National Hockey League and professional sports at large to have a hard ass head coach. Who's going to ride you like crazy. But I think we've become as a society one where we have expectations that individuals in positions of leadership, like a coaching staff are going to have the emotional awareness to understand which players need to be ground into sharpened pencils and which guys need a pillow to land on. Um, and I think, you know, Herb Brooks did that in 1980, knew which guys that he could beat the hell out of and make an example out of him, which guys he had to, you know, guide a little bit, and that's what you see from some coaches. And other coaches struggle with trying to be a player's coach versus being a hard ass. So, 
You know, it's interesting because I think with a, with a relatively young and some elements team in Columbus, you know, Torch is trying to get those guys to be grown-ups and be professionals. And in Chicago, we didn't jump straight to Joel Quinville when Taves and Kane were rookies. I think a lot of people forget that Denny Savard was the coach for the first year and a half or so of 19 and 88's time in Chicago. And in many ways, those two guys still credit him with teaching them what it was to be a professional hockey player in the city of Chicago. Uh, but there came a point in time, like Doug Collins going to Phil Jackson, that you needed a coach to take it over the top. And I think Torts looks like a guy that can, you know, refine through fire uh, some rough edges and get the best out of his team. Um, but guiding and training young guys into becoming National Hockey League players in the way that he does does not always work. And I think, you know, Dubois is, is an example of that. So uh, I don't think Tort's career would end if, if Columbus were to part ways with him. And I'm not saying that anybody's insinuating that Torch is on his way out. But at the same time, um, you do wonder with some of the young guys that they've had and have now brought in how his style of coaching and his expectations of players um, and the way that he follows through on those expectations with ice time uh, will play with the guys that they're invested in financially. Now, I threw this at my buddy last night on the Ranger show we do. And, uh, you know, with, say, Quinn here or whatever. And speaking about torts, and obviously he played with uh, Coach the Rangers there. And let's say, for argument's sake, Chicago, let's say two, three years. Let's just pretend here. The way we talk about torts, you know, I love the way you know the drama and all that stuff. But would you put torts on the Hawks right now if they were having problems? No. Okay. I would not. Um, it, it, I, I think that early in Carlton's tenure, he understandably struggled to get the respect of the veterans in the room because he was younger than some of the guys that he was trying to coach. And he didn't have experience. And as we've talked about at length, it, replacing Joel Quinville, whenever you replace an icon, it is damn near impossible. Um, and you've got to be a special kind of goofy to, to put up with the expectations of a coach. You know, you look at some of the stuff that, you know, the Yankees bosses have, have had to put up with since Joe Torre left. Uh, you look at, you know, certainly other teams have moved on from guys that were icons with their franchise, and you don't know how to replace them. And the next guy who comes in either needs to be a Hall of Famer or he's never going to measure up. And I think what what Jeremy Colton has benefited from in some regards is – uh, the leadership void left by Jonathan Taves not being there and Brent Seabrook being away from, from the team dealing with his back issues has opened the door for some other voices to emerge. Duncan Keith has worn an A for more than a decade, and he's certainly a leader. But I think Patrick Kane's elevated his leadership significantly this season. And you, you, I think it's given some younger guys more flexibility to make mistakes and bounce back because they, he doesn't have the ability to ride the known commodities of 19 and 88 every other shift. So opportunity's been there. Um, and I think Calton has done a good job of cultivating uh, expectations and responsibility, but also giving players the, the understanding that they'll get another shift if they screw up. And I think we saw with Torts the other night that Line screwed up and shared a couple colorful words with the bench and did not get back on the ice. 
And if you're in a rebuild, and I think that's the frustration in Columbus is either you're in a rebuild or you're in a build, you can't be in between forever. Um, and it feels like they went for it with Panarin, obviously, and Duchesne, and it didn't work. But if you're not, you know, figure it out and either bounce back from them, trade them at the deadline, don't have a Greg Maddox or he leaves for nothing. Um, but I think when you're a young team and you've acknowledged that you're looking to the future and you're trying to figure out what you've got and establish some young players in the league, they have to have the grace to make mistakes and get back out there. And I'm not sure the Torts would do the same kind of job with the Blackhawks that Jeremy Calton has done. And I think, bluntly, I think the Blackhawks have benefited from Jeremy Calton's longer leash with some guys and others this year. Oh, it's good to see, man. It is good to see. Yeah, and uh, my buddy last night, too, he said, uh, no, there's no way. As much as you, you love a guy like Torts and stuff like that, I mean, he's um, it's it's fun to watch him from afar in Columbus and let him do his thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you've, last... got, you've, got to have a, you've got to have a really strong leadership group in the room mm-hmm. with Torts because I think that there there has to be an element of veterans that he can ride and make an example of. And there also has to be senior leadership on the roster to, in some regards, translate what Torts is saying. You know, a guy like a Taves or an Andre Kopitar or a Jamie Benn that can say, look, when I was a kid, I got my chops busted just like this. And you just have to play through it. A veteran to come along and put his arm around him. And so I think that there are some other teams with stronger veteran leadership that it might work for Torts if, if Columbus isn't long term. But where Chicago's at immediately right now, I don't, I don't think that he'd be a good fit. Yeah, and it was totally hypothetical. You know, same thing here in New York too with, uh, with the Rangers. And oddly enough, your captain's out, and the Rangers don't have a captain as far as leadership, and and they're both young teams in development. Uh, Tab, last two things I, I want to touch on with you before I let you go. Number one, Tampa Bay, um, as far as uh, you know that matchup tonight with the Cats, um, how they're playing. And speaking of guys like Torts and Big Egos and stuff, I loved a, a quick take on. Uh, Hextall and Berkey getting the gigs in Pittsburgh as they uh, get up in the press box there tonight uh, for their first game against the Islanders this evening. Let's uh, let's start in Pittsburgh because I think, uh, you know, a little bit of seeing this in Chicago when Scotty Bowman came over as a senior advisor. Uh, Darth Vader just came over to, to the good <laughs> side of the force, you know. Uh, Hextall in Pittsburgh? Are you kidding me? Um, you know, it, it it certainly creates a fascinating sequence of conversations in Pittsburgh with the ages of Malkin and Crosby and some of the other guys in that roster and them looking at the end of their tenure. And I think Chicago being a couple years behind them certainly has to be mindful of what Berkey's going to do with the decisions that ultimately are going to need to be made in Pittsburgh. And if Crosby wants to go for it again and they're going to enter a rebuild, does he gulp? unthinkable does Crosby not finish his career in a, in a penguin sweater um, it's unthinkable but the old cliche if Gretzky can get traded dot 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 um, so I think that those two guys you know in Pittsburgh unfathomable two weeks ago six months ago but uh, it'll be fascinating to see what those two do with the hand that they've been dealt because I, I do think that it's it's an interesting situation for them to be in with a team that, you know, bluntly is not playing exceptionally well. They're brutal on the road. And, you know, they are certainly turning the page. Uh, they're a couple years older than, than the Blackhawks are with their old guard. And so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Back in the central of Tampa and Florida, I mean, Tampa, it, you talk about 
a city that no everyone takes for granted becoming the cradle of champions. They get crazy. Yeah. The, the bolts win the cup, the rays go to the world series. And now Tom Brady has one of the epic super bowl celebration afternoons. <laughs> God bless avocado tequila. Yeah. Man. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Which by the way, uh, one of us, uh, was ready to jump off the ship with him, uh, picking Tampa last week on the show. I digress. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, look, Tampa is exactly who we thought they were to go to the old Dennis Green. We keep flipping the football here, but they are who we thought they were. 11 games, 42 goals for, 20 against. They're dominating people. They've won six in a row. They haven't lost at home in six games. They're dominating. Florida, on the other hand, is fascinating because when we all the conversation we just had about torts in Chicago and coaching styles and how will an old guy work with a young team, there were a lot of those questions about Joel Quinville going to Florida and taking on an overpaid goaltender and a young team that had not risen to expectations or certainly even their capabilities from a talent perspective. And he is maximizing what he has in Florida, and they are playing really good hockey. Uh, they're not crushing people. I mean, they've only got a plus-four goal differential as a team after 10 games. But they're playing well, and you can see that they're growing, and you're see, starting to see Quinville implement some of the same guidelines and styles that won him three Stanley Cups in Chicago. So, you know, circling all the way back to the beginning of our conversation on this show, is Chicago a playoff team? I think right now I would comfortably say Tampa, Florida, and Carolina are the three teams that will make it. And from there, it's wide open. But I don't know how many people had Florida as a lock to make the playoffs at the start of the season. People were high in Columbus, Dallas, Nashville are teams that a lot of people liked, and they've got some issues. I mean, every team in this division, uh, except for, I would say, Tampa and Carolina, has has some things that they need to address still. But Florida's riding it well right now, and they've got a coach who's been there and done that, and I think he's established enough respect in the room that guys like Huberto and Barkoff and, and uh, Aaron Ekblad are really stepping up their games. Uh, and it's exciting to see. So, look, who, who would have thought in the middle of February in 2021 we'd be talking about the excitement over a hockey game in the state of Florida? But here we are, and those two teams are rolling, and, and you know, Florida's three points back, and they both missed time because of COVID. So um, so that's, that'll, that'll be an interesting matchup to watch uh, throughout the rest of this regular season because those two teams are playing really well. Yeah, no, some great games on the schedule tonight, man. A lot of fun, including that one. And Columbus and the Hawks tonight. Montreal and Edmonton. Whole bunch of them. Good stuff. And for the teams who are chilling out in COVID protocol, man, that's another story, too. Hopefully, it I mean, are your Rangers going to play again in a week? I don't know. Seriously. I mean, they, their, their Valentine's Day game against the Flyers just got banged. I don't know how they're supposed to play against the Devils. Of what, 14 guys on COVID yep. right now on Tuesday. And then Thursday they come back and they've theoretically got the Flyers on Thursday. So if they can get, if, if Philly can keep their team together through this, you know, three or four day window, uh, then theoretically they could play. But, you know, the Rangers have got a Friday night at, against Boston and then they could be looking at six to eight days off. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind too. And Florida dealt with this earlier in the year is teams that are going to go through a layoff with COVID is one thing. The teams that don't have COVID issues but get a week vacation because the teams that they're supposed to play against are dealing with COVID issues. 
is a whole other series of circumstances because you can get rusty if you just have nothing but practice for five, eight days. Uh, and you're going to have to kick some rust off when you get back on the ice. And having that more than once in a season can be really, really tough. So, I mean, the Devils are in a brutal spot. Uh, I, I pray that they can get their act together and get back on the ice at some point. Um, but when you look at the Rangers, you know, they're, they're looking at possibly having some time off. And it might actually benefit the Rangers because, as you've talked about, they've, they've got more issues in Sports Illustrated right now and could really <laughs> use some time to round those corners off a little bit and figure out what, what isn't working and maybe find a new home for Tony D. Yeah, Tony D, baby. Well, like I said, this uh, season as it progresses here, you know, the Sabres too, man, it's going to be a, a trip to see uh, where it all ends when me and you hopefully are talking in the spring. And you're talking about, like I said, the nice warm weather and, and beautiful Chicago, downtown Chicago. Tab, man, thanks as always. Yeah. Great stuff. Hey, last question, did, did you win some big bucks last Sunday or what? Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't put a ton on it. Uh, if Devin White had come through with my MVP pick, I'd be a lot more comfortable smoking a more expensive cigar right now. Um, but uh, but I, I you know riding with riding with Brady and, and going with Tampa, I certainly made a couple bucks here and there. Good stuff, man. All right, Tab, always great to talk to you. Look forward to next week. Have a super weekend, man. Be safe and healthy. All right. You too. Be good. All right, Tab Bamford, ladies and gentlemen, as always here on THS on Thursdays. All right. It's time now to go out to the West Coast, the left coast, the best coast. All depends on where you are. But anyway, it's definitely time to speak to our buddy, Mr. Steve Palumbo. We're going to talk some West Coast hockey and some New Jersey Devils who aren't playing hockey, but hopefully will soon. Steve-O, how you doing, pal? What's going on? Ah, uh, great, Polly. My favorite time of the week getting to talk to you. Woo! From, uh sunny southern california feeling is mutual but it's not so not so warm here as we keep talking about this <laughs> maybe in, like i said we said it last week maybe around march st patrick's day we'll get a little warmer here so how's everything going man uh cali is cali I, I imagine here in terms of um you know you just live in the great life out there and stuff but um we got a couple of things to talk about here today a few things but unfortunately we still can't talk about devil's hockey on the ice, no games in two weeks now. Um, yeah, and they just they just uh, postponed some more of their games, so uh, it's uh, it's serious. So they're you know this is going to be interesting how they make up these games, especially with you know we've talked about so many times the good start of the team and all the good feelings and stuff, and you know how are they going to come back? All the other teams have been playing, so well, not all the other teams. <laughs> did you? Hear it's going. Did, did they postpone the Rangers game next week? They did. Yeah, the Valentine's uh, Day game. Yeah. This is just not, it's not cool. Yeah, I guess uh, Philadelphia this time. But that team, that was the team that played the Devils before Buffalo, so it seemed like it was bound to happen. Wow. It's weird. You know, we talked about this last week until it starts affecting your team, and like I said, the Rangers now losing a couple of games. What's, I mean, you know, just asking the other guys too, I was talking, you know, just a little bit, we even, we, you know, we have to talk about it. COVID and sports right now, it just is what it is. Um, and, you know, flow of the games here. You know, the, the only storyline I have right now for the Devils is Josh Jacobs was added to the taxi squad, you know. Ball and, and uh, Sen now are going back to Binghamton. There's 19 players on COVID protocol. And um, the league hasn't made an announcement yet whether or not the Devils could even practice. At least the Sabres are allowed to get back on the ice, man. But, I mean, this is this is where we're at here. Yeah, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of information that's come out regarding the Devils and 
and the, the infection or, you know, who, positive, who's not, how it came about. It, it kind of feels like maybe it was somebody, a trainer or something within the organization or somebody that had contact with the players. And, but it's just been such a, a mystery and things just keep getting pushed back. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, Binghamton was able to get started, which was good. There was some concern that maybe their season would be delayed and the first couple games were, were, um, adjusted, but they're back on the ice. They're playing well. And like you said, Jacobs is called up. He's going to be, you know, he's a guy that the devil's really like that at training camp. So hopefully he gets some time in the NHL and man, it's just, uh, we just sit and we wait and it's unfortunate, but uh, at least they get to watch a bunch of other teams play and not have a, uh, such a vested interest in it. You know, <laughs> Can you imagine that being an NHL player right now with a contract and you're basically chilling at home watching everybody else play? I mean, it's a trip. It's cr- it is. It's 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 bananas. I mean, the last year has been crazy. So it's just I guess this is just, you know, more of the same. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I tell you what, we'll stick with the Devils here on, on, a, on a different uh, discussion before we, we, we spend some time with um, the West Coast there and, and everything else. Um and I'm also, I've been asking the guys, too, I want to talk to you about Hextel and Berkey because, obviously, uh, you know, the Metro here and the Eastern Division, too, that you're very familiar with. Uh, get your thoughts on that. But um, your old friend, Mr. Lou Lamorello, uh, in the game tonight, which involves Hextel and Berkey, this is going to be their first game in the press box uh, uh, tonight as the, um, the Islanders take on the Penguins at home. Uh, Lamorello's, uh, if they win tonight, the Islanders, it'll be his 1,300th win uh, for Lamorello, and uh, that would make him third in league history. Uh, and I didn't know this. David Poyle's got 1,420 wins um, a- ahead of Glenn Sather, you know? That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a trip. And Glenn had, uh, you know, 1,319. You know, he had the Oilers and the Rangers, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, hey, look, uh, you know, Lou's got such a history with the Devils. I'm just sit back here and listen, and I'd love to hear your take, obviously, as a diehard Devil fan, a guy who's covered and um, and commentating on the team for years and, and through their heyday in the 90s, obviously, and, and throughout the championships there in the early 2000s, man. Give us a little trip here uh, with regards to your thoughts on, on Lou Lamorell and, and what he means to you uh, as a fan and what he means to the game. I mean, the Devils aren't the Devils that we know them without Lou Lamorello. Once he came in and took over and he instilled that culture and the Lou way, um, it completely changed the direction of the organization. You got your Stanley Cups. You got your the identity um, of the team. It was, uh, you know, for me, Lou will always be have a place in my heart and every Devils fan's heart. You know, when when just knowing that he was at the helm, you always knew that the team was going to be competitive. You always knew that the team had a chance to, you know, chase the Stanley Cup. Um, and I mean. As a Devils fan, there's nothing greater than knowing that uh, Lou Lamarillo was the man in charge for so many years. So we always going to hold him in, in such high regard. You know, the way it kind of ended at the end was a little, you know, frustrating because it kind of felt like um, things were going sour for the Devils. And he was, you know, he left in such an unceremonious way. Um, but he will always be a part of this team's uh, identity and part of this franchise's legacy. Um, there's just really nothing you can say more about him than he he is the guy that made the team who they are today. And he's, he's, you know, he, he, you know, had that little run up in Toronto. I think to me, and maybe me and you can relate to this a little more because of, you know, you being devils and me being Rangers here. And, and obviously, um, you know, what he's doing now with the Islanders, 
um, and turning that franchise around, uh, making them respectable again. There's so many good things going on for the Islanders here. Barry Trotz. I mean, Lamorello, you think of the guys, again, I want to ask you this too. Think of the guys that coached under Lamorello, like uh, who he brought in. You know what I'm saying? You know, Lamorello goes up to Toronto and he gets Babcock, right? Right. He comes down here to the Islanders and he gets Trotz. And now let's look at some of the guys, Lemaire and stuff in Jersey. Go ahead, man. Lemaire and then Robinson did such a great job as a coach and just the, the, the quality of personnel that he was able to attract or he has been able to attract to his franchises speaks volumes for how well he's regarded and esteemed in this league. And he does his due diligence and he wants the best of the best. And he's always been able to do that wherever and, he's uh, gone. Was, uh, was Burns was under Lamarell. Like- oh, yeah. the 2003 cup Burns was a fantastic hire. It was perfect. He, that's the thing that he, he had an uncanny ability, especially in those, the championship years to put the right guy in the right place at the right time. When he uh, replaced, um, you know, brought Robinson at the end of the 2000 season when the team was scuffling and they went on that incredible run. I mean, he just had the ability to push the right buttons and put the right people in place. And, you know, he's just incredible. He's just, you know, we were very fortunate to have him in New Jersey for as long as we did. And if I'm not mistaken, Robbie Fatorik was coaching them, right? Fatorik, yes. And then, That's right. and then I think he, him, he let him go, and then Lou coached for a little bit, right? Was it under the Fatorik era there, or was it somebody I, I'm else? I'm not sure. Lou was on the bench. I, I don't know if Robinson came right in and replaced him, because at that time, remember, the Devils were still the top of the Eastern Conference when he was when you know Fatorik was let go. And I think Robinson was just promoted, and the Devils went on that nice little run at the end and just carried it into the playoffs. I mean, he just – un amazing what he was able to do with, with you know the decisions he made. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. I mean so many so many guys and a lot of guys a lot of players stayed with that team with the organization for a long time. Oh, you know, absolutely. When you, when you think of, you know, some of the blockbusters um uh you know, Steve Stevens coming in there and uh you know, guys like you know, Danico and Niedermeyer. I mean all the great names, Lemieux and obviously during the cup runs and everything else and and Arnott. I mean, you could just go back and forth and then obviously that straight line by Brodeur you know, through it all. Um, and, and, and a guy like that, in, even though it's big market here in New York, up yep. against the Rangers, and it's not so much the Islanders, but, you know, the Yankees, the Jets, the Giants, the Mets, and everything like that. Right. He was able to take that franchise and really put them on the map and, and bring a lot of respect to the Devils organization. And what does that mean for you guys, you know, you being an original native from New Jersey, uh, and the state of New Jersey, as far as those those types of championships, because there is no there's no best there's no baseball team there. Um, they share the football teams with the New York team names on it. I mean, geez, they yep. even do it in MLS. This was disgusting as well, too. Um, you know, the Nets had a little bit of success there, but not really a lot, obviously, throughout the decades. But you know, you think New Jersey, you think New Jersey Devils, and you think Lou Lamorello. Being from New Jersey, and and. It's a great source of pride. I mean, to know that we have, you know, this team is homegrown. Obviously, they relocated, but I mean, they are homegrown. Even the name has roots in New Jersey, the way that they came up with, with naming the team and stuff. It's just, it means so much to the, the state to have something to call our own. And, and I think, 
you know, for me, when I hear things like when I hear players like PK Subban or even Dmitry Kulikov, you know, when he signs in the offseason saying that he's excited to play for such a storied franchise, to hear that about the New Jersey Devils, who were once the Mickey Mouse Club of the NHL, uh, with the Christmas tree jerseys, a laughing stock of, of, of the league, especially, uh, you know, in the New York metropolitan area, to hear that the way that the franchise is regarded amongst, you know, NHL players, um, I, 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 I can't tell you, player after player, Corey Crawford was another one. You know, he looked up to Martin Brodeur. These guys looked up to Scott Stevens. They looked up to these players, and they, they mirrored their game after them. And that's just part of the devil's legacy and, and the tradition and what they mean. Um, you know, and, and to me, I, I just take a, a lot of pride in that. And, and it's just really satisfying to know that my team, the team from New Jersey, is, is that important to people or meant that much to other people outside of the state. Yeah, no, it's great stuff, and, and, you know, I wish him success tonight. Um, I mean, it should be a wild game there tonight uh, on the Island uh, with Pittsburgh. I think uh, today is also the anniversary of, I think, 10 years ago. They had that huge brawl, the Islanders and the, and the Penguins. It's it's on Twitter. If uh, anybody's out there listening, uh, check out Arthur Staple. He's got a whole thing when they go back. I don't know if you remember that game, uh, Stevie, when they, they just – every it was just fights all game. It was unbelievable. Um, I Remember it, but I'll definitely have to go back and look. Yeah, you got to check it out. It's a trip. I remember the game very well myself. So, with that said, with Lou Lamb, just talking about Tom Fitzgerald here, um, you know, and and you know, you know, that's a pretty high bar uh, for him to come in and match up. And I think you've, you've been saying some good words about uh, Fitzgerald. And in fact, there there was talk about, uh, you know, when the Pittsburgh job was available. You know, I think you know we alluded to you know at the time right now. You'd hate to see a guy like that go. So you like what Fitzy's doing here since he's come yeah. in, right? I mean, absolutely. You know, Fitzy's another guy. He's kind of in that that Lou mold. He's you know kind of holds his cards you know close to his vest, but he's a shrewd hockey mind. He's well respected amongst in the league, um, and you could see right from the onset when he took over the role as, as GM from Ray Shiro, um, he had his eye on the prize and he knew he had a, a game plan. He knew how he was going to uh, orchestrate it, and he's gotten right to work and he's put a lot of great pieces in place. And I think it's you know, translating on the ice. It, you know, when the you know, the talk came out that Fitzgerald was one of the, um, you know, possible people that Pittsburgh was looking at. You know, Devil's Nation was getting a little panicked because finally we had a guy who, you know, the, the, the fan base really respected and looked up to his moves and, and appreciated it. When, you know, when, when Ray was in there, you know, for a while it was kind of funny. It was like Ray was trying to make, you know, bring all, any penguin he possibly could to New Jersey. And it was kind of like a, an inside running joke. And, he made some moves. He brought the Taylor Hall in, but he just didn't have that same kind of feel of longevity as uh, as you'd want a GM. And so, to you know, Tom is the guy that, that feels that way. He feels like he could be here for for a long time, especially with the, the age of this team. So it would be nice if they uh, extend him. You know, he's only in that one year deal as an assistant GM. He's still under that contract. So yeah, it'd be well, nice to extend him and keep him around a little while. Well, that's good, man. That's good vibes. And geez, <laughs> got to get this team back on the ice, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah, healthy and on the- yeah, man, it's just uh, it, it's a trip, you know. This is just like a, 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 a like I said, we you know I always say on all the shows we do here, you know, on the network and stuff. Like I said, COVID is 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 just part of our daily lives right now. It's, uh, you know, and, and we always throw out respect. We don't make any light of it, and it's a trip because we're talking about sports during this pandemic, you know, and um, you know, and me and you, go ahead. what's that? We're very- to have the to be able to talk about sports i mean they could just not be playing at all so you just kind of have to adjust and roll with the punches that covid you know it just seems like every week there's a new thing that covid wants to throw at you so 
you know, we're, it's, I think the NHL, I think all sports are doing the best that they can. And we just gotta, you know, just be thankful that, uh, we, we at least have something to talk about. Absolutely. No, totally agree with you. So before we talk some West coast hockey, last thing on the East coast here is, uh, what do you, what do you think about Hextall and Burke getting hired there in Pittsburgh? And, you know, I was asking the other guys too, do you think these two huge egos can survive together running that ship? And you talk about egos on the ice, Malkin, Crosby, you know, Lemieux's the owner. I mean, there's a lot of star power in Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, you know, it, you know, only time will tell. You know, when, when Hextall's been in charge before, he was he did a great job of, you know, kind of retooling and redeveloping the, the team and uh, taking young teams and making them in contenders. Right now you have a team that that still thinks they're in win-now mode, so it'll be interesting to see how he handles that and the vets. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting that they brought in Burke as kind of a go-between. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I feel like Pittsburgh thinks they're on the right track here. It's going to be very interesting to see, especially in the offseason, what the makeup of this team is going to be like next year. That that pretty, We pretty much won't know anything until the offseason when we figure out is Mel still going to be part of this team? What's Sid's future look like? Uh, what is Chris Letang still on the trading block? You know, and uh, I mean, Pittsburgh's had a good run here, but I kind of feel like that that window is closing, and we might see some changes, some big time changes coming up, especially with you know how Hextall's run his teams in the past. So it should be very fun to watch from the outside looking in, and hopefully it's one less team we have to worry about in the standings in the future. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely going to be. Uh... Get get the popcorn and, and, and see what happens in Pittsburgh the rest of the way. And then in, in, in the offseason, too, man, they got some decisions to make. Um, all right, let's head out west, man. Let's talk some West Coast hockey. Um, as far as the power rankings, uh, Vegas, St. Louis, and Rado are in there. Obviously, uh, tops pretty much in the division as well, too. Um, uh, it looks like Anaheim and Vegas are going to play tonight. It just came over the wire that they're, even though there's a positive test, crazy there, Steve-O, they're going to play tonight. Um but just uh, your overall look here at the division, I'm going to just throw this at you and, and, and just give me a couple of thoughts on, on anything you've seen here uh, in, in the last week since we spoke in terms of anybody making a move here, something that's impressed you, or a storyline that maybe I'm not grasping here that maybe you want to talk about. Well, for, first and foremost, I mean, we talk about the COVID, uh, you know, the COVID uh, cancellations going to the East. They've gone through the West. I mean, we had to, NHL had to do a bunch of shuffling with the Colorado situation, and then you ended up playing you know, St. Louis and Arizona are going to face each other seven times in a row, um, which is very, very interesting. And, it's nuts. Uh, they heck, yeah, it's nuts. But they played a heck of a game the other night. I think, you know, for me, Arizona was one of those question mark teams, and they showed a lot of character um, coming back and forcing overtime and then ultimately winning uh, that game against St. Louis. That was a huge win for them and one that I think is going to, you know, kind of help them stay the course and, and may be one of those teams that hangs around. Um, to me, you know, still those same teams at the top. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is back on the ice, so he, hopefully he'll be coming back whenever Colorado comes back. Um, Vegas, they got to get their COVID situation, you know, in order. They've missed some time, and then they had the cancellation the other day. And so hopefully they can, you know, stay on the ice and stay healthy because they're a fun team to watch. You know, they the Ducks gave them all they could, the other, you know, coming back from being down, uh, four to one to, to force, you know, to, to even that game up only for Vegas to pull out the victory. But that team just knows how to win in any situation up, down, left, right. That's just a fun team to watch. I think the real story of this division is what's happening at the bottom. You know, we've talked about this every single week and, you know, we're seeing some interesting trends. Uh, you know, the Kings, 
you know, Drew Doughty is hurt, so depending on how long he's going to be out could really determine uh, the fate of this team. It almost feels like they're destined to finish at the bottom of the division now, uh, especially if he's extended out for an uh, extended period of time. For as much young talent as they have, that team just has too many deficiencies right now to, to be competitive on a nightly basis, especially with one of their leaders out. I mean, they still, they're still fun to watch, but I just don't see them making any significant push. Um, the Sharks are interesting because they've started to turn things around. Evander Kane is scoring. They've, they've shown a lot of resiliency in coming back late in games and, and squeaking out points and then winning in shootouts to, to get the, the extra point, which is, seems to be uh, something they're working towards. I, you know, one of the weirdest stats I, I heard is regarding Mark Jones. I mean, he's, sometimes a guy cannot stop, stop a beach ball in the middle of a game, but when he gets the shootout, he's, he's unbeatable. And they're, it's, he's proving it. They've, he's been really good for them, and they picked up extra points by getting to that shootout um, a lot this season. So um, Logan Couture has really blossomed in the role as the captain of that team. You know, there was some big shoes to fill when Joe Pavelski left, but now it's clearly um, Couture's team, and uh, he's starting to take the reins. He's putting the puck in the net. He's leading by example. Um, they still got Brent Burns being Brent Burns. Uh, Eric Carlson. Uh, is still not fully healed from all these injuries that have plagued him, so he's, he's having a tough time. And Mark Edward Vlasic has really taken a big step back, but the Sharks are going to continue to hang around there, so that's that's one that's kind of ticking in a positive direction. Minnesota, another team hit with COVID uh, issues and cancellations, so uh, again, just not a much team to talk that, about, right? We can't talk about them. <laughs> no, no, but uh, Anaheim. Um, They've, I've obviously I've watched quite a few Anaheim games recently, and they're they're starting to play a lot better. They're actually starting to score. Some of the young guys are scoring. Adam Henrique is finally putting the puck in the net. Getzloff got his first goal of the season. John Gibson is still going to be John Gibson. So if they can they can get some kind of semblance of a, a offense going, they're going to be a team that's going to hang around there as well. And I think they fully expect to be a team that hangs around. You know that they they don't. You know, the way the team is constructed, even with all the young players coming in, this is a make it or break it, uh, make it or break season for a lot of these guys in Anaheim. So they really got a lot to prove. And there'll be another one to kind of watch going forward. That's going to be the bottom of the division is where all the is all the, the juicy stuff is at. You know, the top of the division is pretty much going to be what it is. But that shuffling at the bottom is going to make for a very fun season as long as everyone stays healthy. Well, you, you know, your state hockey teams there, the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Kings, they can take advantage of the fact that, like, you know, the Avalanche, the Wild, the Yotes, and, uh, you know, the Blues aren't playing right now. So they got an opportunity uh, to make some ground here. Um, I'm looking forward to that Kings-Sharks game tonight. I'm going to uh, check in on that. And um, I'm bummed, man. I can't watch the rest of these teams because those, uh, you know, the Blues and Wild are postponed, Yotes and Avalanche as well, too. Last thing I want to bring up, you, you mentioned his name there before, and that's Brent Burns, man. He's leading the league in terms of time on ice, man. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, um, you know, with his buddy Thornton there leaving and, all the changes they've gone through in San Jose there. And, you know, it's funny because you speak, you know, I, we bumped into him when he was uh, at the draft in Minnesota a few years back. And then he was part of the trade, I think, that day. And when he yeah. ended up in, in San Jose, uh, when the draft was um, in was in uh, Minnesota. Yeah, that's that's when it happened. It's a trip. But look, man, he's um, it's, it's, a, it's a trip to say for me, like, you know, he's a veteran kind of guy. And, um, you know, looking at the uh, – the time on ice that he's carrying, man. I mean, do you put him up there with the guys like, you know, 
you know, minus the championships, obviously, but the guys like Chara and, you know, um, big-time defensemen like that that just carry their team. I mean, is is he basically the, the leader right now on, on the San Jose Sharks, minus the C, uh, not being on his jersey? You know, he really is. I, I You know, he's kind of like a a rover out there. He kind of plays all over the place. You know, he started as a forward, then he transitioned to defense. He's got an incredible scoring touch. Plays a lot of time out there, and and the team goes as he goes. When he's scoring, and uh, he's making plays, the team is is good. When he's not putting the puck in the net, he he can at times be a defensive liability out there, and you know the team suffers because of that. But um, I think he's kind of taken it upon himself, you know, along with Couture, to really be the driving force in the success of the San Jose Sharks. These guys have a lot of pride. They have a lot to play for. They have a lot to prove. You know, people were trying to write them off last season. You know, Burns is a liability. And, and I, I think Carlson's kind of in the same, the same boat there. He has a lot to prove, and he just can't get himself healthy. But it's, it really is a pleasure to watch Brent Burns when he's out there. The things that he does, he's such a big man. He's got that beard, and he makes these moves. He scored a beautiful goal the other day where he just kind of danced through the defense. And uh, you kind of forget that a guy of that size has that type of skill. But he is uh, – He's he's definitely a, a rare a rare breed in, in this league and, and one of those guys that you can put up there with some of the the best defensemen in the league at least offensively and uh, entertainment wise. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. You nailed it, man. That's the kind of guy I think he is too, and I'm uh, definitely looking forward to checking in on that. So, hey, look, Stevie, you know, no Devils to watch tonight, but you know, you can definitely check in on on Lou Lamb and see how his current team, the Icelanders, do against the uh, the Penguins in their new regime at the top. So. That'll be some fun, and uh, we'll kick back here next week and, and hopefully get closer to the Devils getting back on the ice here and stuff. But as always, buddy, love talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this with me, and I uh, can't wait till we uh, get back over to it uh, next week, next week and, and have a super weekend out there in Cali, man. Be careful on the waves. <laughs> always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Have a good one, bud. All right, brother. Stay safe and healthy. Steve Palumbo, ladies and gentlemen, talking some New Jersey Devils. And some West Coast hockey, West Division. Good stuff here. And that puts a wrap on week four of our NHL weekly recap here at That Hockey Show. I want to thank everybody who's been downloading, subscribing, and sharing, and tweeting, and all that other stuff. Keep that going for us. We really appreciate it. And um, you know, make sure you follow the other guys, especially on Twitter. That's where we're all hanging out. Uh, go to at That Hockey Show. Say hi, give us a follow. And uh, again, we look forward to uh, doing this again with you next week. Week five is the NHL, the COVID NHL rolls on. So as always, a big thanks to Joe Yurden, Costa Papulias, Tab Bamford, Steve Palumbo, and yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert from the Go Hockey Media Studios in New York. Have a super week, a super weekend. Enjoy the games tonight and keep your head up. THS out.